calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. And I'm Caleb Bradnick, and we and love scams. We love scams. Guys, we Yay. love scams. Oh gosh, we've had so many good ones lately. We hope that you're loving them as well. Um, and and you're feeling ins- inspired in your hearts by them and by the scammers, and they're like taking you, giving you something to go on in your life. Giving you life. Yeah, give you some more life, these con yeah. artists. We also have gotten so many amazing responses. We're getting DMs on Twitter. We're getting Instagram. We're getting people emailing us scams from London. And uh, we're really into it. We're going we're gonna to cover all of them, but there's a ton of scams, guys. We Listen, we asked for you to contact us. <laughs> you contacted us, and that's amazing. And but now stop. we're overwhelmed, so we're getting to it. <laughs> Please never stop, though, because it it does help our self esteem. <laughs> but don't, yeah, it does help a lot. But don't be offended if we're like if, it takes us. If you month. don't hear back, we are doing our best. As I've said over and over again, we do our best. We do. There's just we do. so many scams in the world, and only so little time for us to conquer them. We're all. comedians, not um lawyers, or we're doing our best. As I said, but like <laughs> you might want to cross reference facts if you you might want. That do we your are own saying. homework. <laughs> do <Honestly>? your own. <laughs> so, guys, we have someone laughing in the studio besides our amazing producer, Caitlin. We have a guest that I love. A special correspondent. That also our fans love. Our I say fans loosely. <laughs> There's a couple of you. But um, the people that our early listeners will know from our vegan um, one Lucky Duck podcast. We're bringing back this correspondent. This is the second podcast we ever recorded, and it's nice to be in the studio with him again because my how things have changed. Things have changed. We're much more profesh and much more relaxed in a lot of ways. In a lot <laughs> okay. of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways. So, um, give a studio round of applause for Alan Arthur, Alan my Arthur. husband. Oh, he's oh, also an you. investigative journalist. Um, he's he won, won an award. Multiple, oh, so many awards, you guys. He's getting on his second or third. I can't even. What was Not the award that you I'm just competing. won? I got the Stephen B. Shepard Award for investigative reporting from. Uh, oh, we're so proud of you, Newmark Graduate School of Journalism, my alma mater. And then he's going to an. He won another award. What was the other one? I'm was... not. I'm going to an award dinner Monday night. But then he got I'm another award, one. I'm. I didn't win. No, it. you got a second one. No, I didn't win. I think you did. But I what did was not, that I one? I wouldn't know if I won. <laughs> I think you did. The one I'm going to uh, in a few days at the is Harvard the, Club. Yeah, the the Deadline Club. I was nominated for their public service journalism. Ooh. And then he was a finalist in another thing. And then a finalist for the Livingston Award. Yeah. Then they submitted him for a Pulitzer. And guys, I did not get nominated, <laughs> but they thought it was worth. Yes, at least he was submitting. submitted for a Pulitzer. That is huge to me. Like, that's I so would cool. like to be submitted for so I don't many be a, things. I, that I'm, not I'm nervous. I'm for. a one-hit wonder, though. Uh, no, that's not the case. No, no, um, no, 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 no. So, I'm Alan, so- <laughs> I'm so excited. He's so smart, you guys. So, Alan, um, 
on his own really is interested as we are as a couple in like mob life, mob folklore, historic mob yes. stories. Yes. Um, there's the Gangster Museum in New York we went to. The Museum of the American Gangster. Yes. Yeah. Is that yeah. the one Whatever. on Saint, on St. Mark's? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's great. It's fun. Is it? It's really cute. Yeah. yeah. And it has, it's a ton of, it's a little small place. It looks like it's just a house <laughs> that was turned into a museum. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it has a ton of information and so many cute pictures and, no, it's also very gruesome. <laughs> the mobsters were gruesome folks. Yeah, they're yeah. terrible. Yeah, so they're terrible. not. They're not good people. <laughs> we have a soft spot. I don't, for I'm them. not a. I'm not a fan of them. But I'm you're just interested. I'm very interested yeah. in that. None history. of the people. None of the people we talk about are good people. Oh. Right. They're just. Fascinating. I just don't want to. The ma the mafia can be glorified. I don't want to glorify well, what yeah. they're doing. Okay, but let's get to facts, <laughs> which Alan <laughs> Arthur brought. Alan, tell us your. Fucking fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the thing, so I wanted to do these scams. So it's kind of two scams. And the reason I wanted to do it is because they, the whole of the mafia and all the strength that they had and all this power and all this money, they were brought down ultimately, largely, um, sort of took a big chunk out of them was just because of these two kind of, they're clever scams, but they're not, it, it wasn't. In. It wasn't a bunch of murders or some high mm. profile. It was these little rackets that they would run that ultimately brought them down. Mm. Um, so okay, so there's the, was this structure of the of the mafia where there's the bosses up at the top, and then there are these under bosses, and then there's like a consigliere, and and they kind of advise people on everything, and then they would give orders. What does consigliere mean again? It's 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 just like an advisor, like okay, a trusted okay. advisor. Sorry. And and so they would give orders to everybody. So the government really had a hard time finding get, the person. Get, yeah, like actually charging these bosses with anything. So they were just kind of ragtag. The the first kind of waves of the of the mafia came in, I think in the in like the late 1800s from Italy. And they actually came in uh, largely like they were coming into New Orleans was like oh. a big port for them. So New Orleans? They were, yeah, New Orleans. And oh. so they they would eventually they 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 started to kind of take up in New York. And actually the the big thing that changed it was um they were kind of like they were like pickpockets at first. It wasn't like an organized thing. They and they're just be, helping their own. Yeah, they like, might be groups, but it's not like a, there's no structure to it. It, it was, was more like, like an immigrant community in New York where there were lots of them. Sure, but one that like steals from. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, one of the communities. That lives via They're crime. very good at that, yeah. So, so, so then um, actually when um, Mussolini came to power, he actually, like more high-powered Italian mobsters fled and came to New York. What year was that? This was like, uh, uh, I don't remember. World War II? Around World War II. Like in but the Before 30s? that, like yeah. The like an Italian leader. Mussolini. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's who he was. Mussolini was, was a, a fascist dictator. He was friends dictator. with Hitler, right? Um, and they, and, and so people were <laughs> Look, we're giving the facts for people there. that stopped listening in So there was a lot of Italian immigration and, and, and uh, it was more powerful people. It wasn't just like, goon thugs on the street okay. it was real people coming not so, just your average goon it's not no, just, no not just no. your average goon we need more than just goons that's what they yeah. said and then people so it was were people like, that were like politically the big threatened guys. Yeah, yeah, and it was threatened. and it was people who had like business sense oh. and so they were come they would come over and like eventually cool guys yeah eventually um there were there were these kind of uh threads of these sort of loosely organized groups in New York City and so this guy, Lucky Luciano, decided, wait, there's a better way to do this. So he called together kind of the heads of these groups and said, like, let's organize this. Mm. And he established that these one guy rules. Yeah, he's really the father of what and we know is organized Empire. crime. Is he in Boardwalk mm -hmm, Empire? Mm -hmm. I, never watched. I should probably watch mm -hmm, it because mm -hmm. it seems to overlap with stuff mm -hmm, I like. Mm -hmm. So he basically was like, if we all don't fight each other and we all think about this, before we just go doing stuff, we can actually like be more be efficient. Really powerful. We can be more efficient. We can operate in the shadows. People won't know. We can make political connections. He was really like a schmoozer, hmm. and he was like, "Be quiet. Don't make a big show of it. Like we're 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 
we're a business. We're, we're a business. We're going to run this like a business. Okay. And so they established five families in New York City. Wait, and... wait. I just did a quick Google on Lucky Luciano. Looks like he mm-hmm. died in 1962. Um, and he was convicted in 1936. So that's kind of the time period we're talking about. So five families. Yes, there are five families and they basically run pretty much the mafia in the whole country. I mean, they're Mm. kind of the center of it. And they form together this thing called the commission, which Mm. actually plays a big role in this. And it's basically the heads of each of the five families. And I think there's one representative or something that is from the, the mob all over the rest of the country. And so they would make decisions. So there were all these rules. They set up these rules, like you can't kill family members of people who are like made men who have been inducted into the mafia. You can't, um, you know, you don't, you can't kill a boss, but like people could petition them basically and say like, I, I want to kill this boss and they would vote on it and decide really? like, yeah, or like, I want to kill this person in this other family and they would, they would vote. It was, it was very, very diplomatic. Yeah, well, yeah, they were, tr- they were trying socialist. to set up a structure. <laughs> they were trying, well, they were making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so they, 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 he set up this structure. Like if we don't fight, if we keep cool, we can, we can all win. And there's no point in us killing each other when we can the kill cops the other are guys. after us, whatever. Yeah. Like we can, mm-hmm muscle out everybody else and keep all these rackets for ourselves mm. if we if we all kind of band together. So they fought and there was wars and stuff I like, like that. But largely they that. there was this process yeah. to kind of like work everything out. But the commission was like this these the was the bosses. And they could never get to the bosses. The cops were just rounding up the the street thugs and could Can never I- really get to the structure. Yeah, I just want to interrupt quickly. Do we know the names of the five families? Yeah, it's it's Gambino, Colombo, Lucchese, uh, Bonanno, and uh, what's the one I'm forgetting? I'm really impressed. Genovese. Oh, okay. uh, so cool. Um, cool. And so basically the the. This was also exacerbated by the fact that J. Edgar Hoover, who was the head of the FBI, was like, there is no mob. We're not looking for the mob. These are just a loose affiliation of goons. Um, Did he not want to give them power? He was more interested in in surveilling black activists. Oh. How dare oh, yeah, racism. <laughs> goons. They're more than goons. They're business <laughs> Way more than that. It was just like, you know, these are common criminals that, you know, that maybe they, there's, they're like sticking people up or maybe they oh, have these white. little Let's things. Let's work but, on the racism. But this, this, there's not this big, well, this, and that's what's crazy. People didn't, uh, a lot of people just didn't even believe there was a mafia until really? like the 70s or 80s. Wow. And so, in the cases, actually, that I'm going to talk about, like part of the, what the prosecution had to do was actually get the jury to believe that the mafia even existed. Shut up. Like, we take it for granted now. Yeah, but it, they they had to actually say, like, this. look, we have to prove this exists. That's crazy. To, to make our case. So they could never get to the commission. They were just kind of rounding people up. And then the FBI is like, there is no mob. And that kind of starts to turn when Robert F. Kennedy takes over at the Justice Department. They start to at least agree like there is a mafia and we have to do something about it and they're well connected and they are involved in politics and they're involved in labor unions and there's this organized efficient group that's making a lot of money through crime uh just so i want to clarify a couple points so one point is they were able to succeed because of racism because no (laughs) one was on to them absolutely everybody was distracted that was part of it Mm -hmm. for sure Okay, first clarification. Second clarification is you were saying they had um, groups like all over the country a little bit? Or yeah, a lot of it different cities like Miami City. and New Orleans and Chicago and Cleveland, okay. Buffalo. Um, I'm sure I'm, they, I mean, they basically founded Las Vegas. So there wouldn't oh. be a Las Vegas without the mafia. Um, it was a desert town essentially until they sent Bugsy Siegel out to. Shut up. These casinos for real. Yeah. And then he took too long and spent too much money and they murdered him. (gasps) Um, And uh, and then they were like, I mean, it was basically there's a lot of stuff that is our legitimate businesses now, quote unquote, that started with the mafia or that the mafia did. And yeah. okay, keep going. Casinos are one of those for sure. Wow. I didn't know. 
So in in so they were eventually the FBI became desperate. Like we have to do something because they had neglected this for thirty five or forty years, and so um, they created this law. Um, what year it, was it, this? In nineteen seventy, okay. the, the U.S. passed a law. Um, called uh, the RICO Act, um, which stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. And it was basically this big thing that was put into a a larger crime bill. And what it it gave them all these um, powers to try to prosecute the bosses in these organizations and not just to round up people individually. Do you happen to know how it was getting out of hand that were that made them be like, we have to do something or like. What were they, they doing that led them to pass the RICO? They, they were making the, the modern equivalent of billions of dollars a year just among these five families. Oh, and gosh. so. It was just, it was essentially a crime wave. I mean, they were murdering people. There were tons of murders. You know, New York City is famous for, in Chicago. you know, bodies in the, you know, and Al Capone. And I mean, the Chicago mafia didn't quite last very long, um, mm-hmm. at least not in a strong form. They didn't, I don't think they made it much past the 50s or something. But um, I mean, it was, it, they were violent. They were killing people. They're torturing business owners. They're they're it, it, sucking money out of uh, uh, out of all these businesses through bribes and extortion and stuff like that. So it's just it's just this huge organization that's wrecking people's lives. And they had to, they eventually they're like we got to do something. And it's not it just New York; it's racism. all over the country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, New York is where it's centered, but yeah. but yeah, there's there's pockets all over. So. Um, what it, what it did basically was, was a few couple things, was a few things that they couldn't do before. One is that it created the witness protection program. Mm. So, um, people could be less afraid to testify. Um, they were, people were understandably nervous about testifying against the mafia because they would, um, be killed. So uh, this started the witness get stitches. Pro- ever heard of it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of it? It's it's definitely it was you'd be lucky if you got stitches, frankly. But um, yeah, they would kill people who they thought were going to testify. So if people got even picked up by the police, they would just kill them. Um, so uh, it let them do that, and it also established uh, that you could basically prosecute people for um, patterns of of sort of criminal adjacent activity. So you could be charged with conspiracy to commit murder and you didn't actually have to murder anybody. You just Mm. had to sort of do things that look like you were in the process of making this happen. Mm. So if you were having conversations with people like, hey, I need you to do this, even if they never were murdered, you could be charged with conspiracy. And then if they were, even worse. So they could attach you to this murder. So that got around this problem of the The bosses aren't actually killing anybody. They're just ordering this stuff. How do we get after them? And it let the government prosecute people as an organization. So instead of, I got to pick you off one at a time, we're going to charge the whole family or everybody that we can attach to these crimes. Because they're just all gonna... conspiring, technically, if exactly. they're in the family. That, I mean, mm. yeah, for the, from the government's mm-hmm. point of view, they're all organizing this stuff together. Whatever we can get, whoever we can prosecute with the evidence we have, boom, let's do it. So um, that was in 1970. Um, I'm trying to see if I just missed it. That RICO became um, a thing. Yeah, RICO, RICO Act becomes a thing. So it takes some time before people actually understand even how to use it. They think they're going to lose. It's hard to prove. But they start doing things like bugging people's hideouts. Mm-hmm. And they start bugging people's cars. And they start actually, oh. they start trying to actually like get. Spy stuff. Yeah, they start trying to build these cases because there's no fingerprints. There's no you burn you them know, DNA evidence or whatever. It's about establishing a pattern or a, a concerted like effort proof. to do something illegal. Yeah. Um, so from all this horrible stuff that they're doing, the first time they really get hit is in 1986 in what's called the commission case. And the commission case was built around something largely called the concrete club and the <laughs> concrete club is the scam the concrete <laughs> okay. club is is the is the meat of it so what they would do is 
it for a long time they would install people in unions so they would have people the mob would yeah they would have people run for like union president or representatives within the union and it was basically like vote for this person or you're you know dead. or <laughs> yeah or it's not going to go well for you a lot of times the interestingly the mob would be like we'll give you a bunch of money to do this unethical thing and then if you turn down the money then they would kill you oh okay <laughs> so it, it, a lot of times it wasn't straight up right off the bat will kill you. Yeah, but a little yeah. bit of a prize. So the Concrete Club was... That's why the mob is good at, like, they're not only good at business, they're good at government. That's what you're saying, is that they came over from Italy. This huge institution was good at local government A lot well. of them were really connected to a lot of politicians, yeah. for sure. Um, including our current president. Um, <laughs> I believe it. Which, which we yeah. can talk about, too, because he is involved in this case. <laughs> <gasps> Wait, okay, keep going, keep going. Sorry, we're asking you too many questions. I so, just want to hear No, no, no. So, so they would install the, these people in the, in this union. And so what they, would, it, what they would do is they would go to a bunch of, um, in this case, concrete mixing companies <laughs> that made ready-mix concrete, which is when you see the stuff spinning in the big trucks, it's basically like this, you have to keep it moving or else it solidifies. It's this quick, kind of it's it's labor intensive yeah. but it's this quick way to pour concrete so they would they owned a stake in all of these companies they i mean you know through whatever means they right i they don't think they it. were traditional they investors yeah mm -hmm. somehow they would own a stake basically in these companies and so what they would do is they would say these seven companies i think it was seven companies in this case they would in New York City. Yeah, in New York City. Okay. They would decide who could bid on projects among these seven companies. So they'd go like, okay, this project is coming up. You three, you three bid on it, quote unquote. And uh, what for the next project. So, so a developer is looking for mm -hmm. somebody to do concrete for this give them building. A, a price estimate. And they say, yeah, we can we can do it for um, fifty thousand dollars. And then okay. they go to another company and they go, oh, we can do it for sixty. But what they would do is they would say, you're the only three that can bid. Nobody else gets to bid. If anybody else bids, we're gonna it's, we're gonna make a problem for them. And uh, th we're gonna inflate the bids because we know who's bidding. We control who's bidding. So if this job would normally cost fifty thousand dollars, you go in and your first low bill, low ball bid is seventy thousand dollars. Like we're gonna start making money right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so, why did uh, yeah, That's solid. Why did they pick concrete? Do you know? Um, they were just. I mean, they were involved in a lot of construction okay. things and union. Th like union leadership was just easily. It was easy for them to infiltrate and, that and. And it allowed them to easily dispose of dead bodies with concrete. Oh yeah, I'm sure that helps. Yeah, that's yeah, a factor. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having concrete and access to construction materials is, is probably yeah. very helpful. Um, so, so they, so then, not only would these businesses make money, but they would also say like, we get two percent of all of it. So the it's mob a, would. Yeah, so it's a hundred thousand dollars because to in the mobs version of things They're like, like the agents we're yeah we're getting you jobs we're <laughs> yeah. making sure that your company gets a job and actually when when the companies would testify they actually weren't they actually didn't feel like they were losing out they they were yeah. like we're getting a it's lot a of deal. work through this but we can we can never stop because they'll they'll kill us or or <laughs> like they'll hurt our family it's so crazy it's like agent, just like you know, an agent it is yeah. <laughs> If I don't work with my commercial agent, he's going to kill he's me. He's probably okay. going to kill me, to be honest. Probably. It's, that's the way business works, right? I'm, I'm sorry, actresses. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's real. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's not a bad thing because if you're inflating anyway the prices and then you give like the top portion to your to your agent, you're still going getting They're away benefit. with a lot. Yeah, they didn't yeah. even care about kicking yeah. back that 2% because yeah. they were already making more than they would if they totally. just did it on their own yeah. and they had this, 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 this guaranteed job. Um, if they, it wasn't always violent. Sometimes they would threaten labor shutdowns. So they'd be like, okay, you know, if your company bids on this, we'll just tell everybody not to work. Like the union will go on strike. And so these companies were desperate to avoid that. And so like developers tech. would, yeah, <laughs> everybody fire your writing agents. Yeah. They, this was a big part of this case was was this this dumb little concrete thing that i mean they 
I'm sure they made a lot more. I mean, this was in the eighties, but the government had pinned on them like a, like a million and a half dollars or something like that. That's all they could substantiate really. And that's a big concern in these Rico cases. Like what can we actually get close to proving? Um, because it is, they didn't necessarily do anything. It's these elaborate things. It's all through bugs and stuff like these complicated financial transactions. So um, ultimately, all eight people who got tried in this case were found guilty. Were these the mob boss heads? Yeah. So it was the heads of three families. There was Fat Tony Salerno Mm. of the Genovese family, who was actually a front. We'll talk about the other who he was a front for in the next in the second scam. (laughs) Then there was this guy, um, Tony Ducks Corallo. Um, and you gotta stay uh, away from Car- ducks. That's what I always say. <laughs> Tony ducks. And then, uh, this guy, Carmine Persico, who fun fact represented himself during the trial. <laughs> which, I like him. He's got an issue. And, um, would like admit to stuff while he was cross-examining witnesses I love it. <laughs> and be like, you're just mad because I beat you up. <laughs> right? Tell me and- there's a great Italian restaurant on Graham Ave where I used to live called Carmine's. I wonder if it's the same guy. There's a lot of car mines okay. in this story, in these stories. <laughs> okay. In the mob world, there's names. a lot of okay. car mines. A solid name. Um, but, um, and then there were three kind of underbosses, and then there was the union the union guy who um, kind of ran this. Oh, the union like scab. Yeah. Like, or, well, Is he that was the right the, word? No, no, a union like rat? He was, he was in the union. He was the president of the, I have it written down, the president of the Cement and Concrete Workers District Council. But also in the mob? Well, he was like the middleman, basically. Mm. Like he made sure that all this happened and that the companies knew what was going on and everybody got taken care of because they were trying to evenly distribute the money and things like that so that people didn't get mad. And then they, and then also this guy, um, Anthony Bruno Indelicato, who killed a guy named Carmine Galante in Brooklyn um in bushwick um they were all and the, yeah so the three bosses three kind of under bosses and then the 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 union guy and this murderer and they all basically got um a hundred years um <gasps> the, it was 151 guilty counts for, for concrete people. yeah well there was, <laughs> was the, they were t- they they kind of used that to tie Concrete's them to all this other drug. stuff yeah oh, <laughs> okay Sniffing concrete is a gateway drug to get to all the real problems. So they used the concrete as like, um, so they were like, you guys did. You guys are like fixing all this concrete shit, and we know that this is a scam because you're like setting up the way people can bid on things and and the whole industry. And then they had a window into all their financial dealings. Is that what we're talking about? Basically, yeah. And I think other people start to like confess like then you like the, once a case is started you then can get everybody else yeah so so a, kind of a big thing that happened with this is that um people saw them get a hundred years with no chance of parole what uh, for not even necessarily doing anything just so okay. just conspiracy. conspiracy to commit murder cons- racketeering this stuff that's ostensibly non-violent at least from their perspective yeah like, they're not actually murdering anybody. Yeah. They're they're not going and shooting somebody. They're just sitting in a social club or something in Little Italy and saying, "Go, you know, go get this person." Okay. And so the mob saw like, "Oh my God, a hundred years without parole is not." And these are our bosses. So so people start flipping. Yeah, it starts to create like a discord. And that's when they use the witness protection program and that kind of stuff. We're and we're then, seeing a lot of rats. Yeah. So then everybody also gets paranoid. Mm. So this happy family of everybody trusts everybody and we're all going to work in each other's interests. Everybody starts looking over their shoulder about who's a rat. Um, And then, um, yeah, so the, the way that Trump is involved in this actually is that one of the concrete companies was this was called SNA. Uh, concrete that was um, run by Fat Tony Salerno, whose lawyer is Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn is Trump's lawyer and Trump's like mentor in New York City. And there's pretty this guy David K. Johnston actually does great. I would look his stuff up, or we could throw a link in the description. But this guy David K. Johnston has looked into it a lot, and Wayne, the the late great uh, investigative reporter Wayne Barrett has looked into it a lot. And there's pretty solid evidence that Trump was knew Fat Tony Salerno and used SNA concrete, <gasps> even though. At that point, basically nobody was using ready mix concrete, and 
he they charged him like eight million dollars for it or something, which was way more than he should have been charged. And it seems like he knew and that this was a money exchange that like, was based on in his interest. Everybody to spend that being much. yeah, everybody looking out for each other. Trump so, knows Fat Tony. <laughs> Trump probably met. There seems there's rec, There's people who claim they were at the meeting of Trump and Fat Tony. Sawyer, wow, and, and they have the same lawyer. Holy crap, he has the same lawyer the, as Fat Tony. Yeah, Roy Cohn was a big mob lawyer, um, so he helped a number of mobsters. Um, and, we got to get him on the pod. And also, this concrete <laughs> <laughs> he died of AIDS thirty years okay, ago. Okay, get him on the pod. Um, okay, his ghost can come R. on. R.I.P. Get his ghost, please. I'm gonna ask some questions. <laughs> you see, hey, a ghost podcast—that's a good. We're scam. pro ghost guys. Like a seance podcast, uh, you can yeah. just say whatever. Just <laughs> tell us. No, pro you're already dead. <laughs> There's so no this is also the Javits Center too. The Javits Center was a big mob concrete? run thing. Yeah, pouring the concrete and all the unions there were all mob controlled. And so people weren't even at the Javits. Like the first few years, people didn't even hold things at the Javits Center because it was so mobbed up. They were getting like a, it was like a fraction of what, yeah. Really? They didn't, people didn't want to get involved with it. Um, it, it took way longer than it was supposed to. It cost millions of dollars more than it was supposed to because the, the mob was in charge of, in charge of everything there. Um, so yeah, there was, it was just this little dumb scam of let's, let's control who, uh, bids on concrete work around the city to make a couple extra million dollars that helps the government establish, look, there's this organized group of people who are, who are smart and are efficient and are dangerous. And they're, they're doing this intentionally and thoughtfully, and it's, it's all organized. They have organized it. And um, the other thing that I thought was great about the scam is that nobody minds except the developers, basically. Like the concrete people don't mind. The mob wins. The police don't care because it's not violence. Mm. Uh, right, and it's self-contained. Like Totally. They're almost like governing themselves. So the police is like, fine, go to it. Yeah, we have absolutely. other things to take care of. All the costs get passed upward to the developers. Mm -hmm. They don't. It uh, makes New York City pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the work gets done <laughs> for the concrete. most part. <laughs> Honestly. The unions are kind of the, kind the of union. Happy, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 a lot of them are just mob plants anyway. <laughs> so they don't really care. And then the workers are like, whatever, we're just going to work. So no, no one really minds. Nobody's getting brutalized. Except if somebody's murdered. Yeah. That's the only thing. But that was like the last resort. Yeah. Oh, Caitlin, our producer, has a question. Um, how did, I'm just wondering if the workers like would have made less money if this was I don't know. Would the would the work so Caitlin's question was, would the workers, if they weren't involved in the mob, make less money? I think oh, yes. Does it benefit the workers? Yeah, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they'd kick Well, then back. The, there were scams where the, the mafia would totally sell out the workers and they would make arrangements at union places to bring in non-union laborers to save money for the developers. Well, of course. So they would also do that. They would play both sides. Again, it's like, sad. Like both sides. Just sad. You got to play. Sometimes you do non-union work. And like, sorry, guys, this anyone. is new media. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it's new media. Here's $100 for in perpetuity for our secret deodorant commercial. I'm bitter. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Hypothetically. Um, yeah, so so that's that's scam one. And this this really decimates the upper levels of the mafia for so the first time. Does anybody? Okay, so these eight guys that got that got convicted, then within that is, I don't know if, this was written about, but is there discord in the families? Like people start killing each other or people start distrusting each other. Like after that, you said people started to get nervous, so, but is there so any deaths that happen as a part response? part of this case involves Donnie Brasco. Oh. I don't know if we're all familiar with Donnie Brasco. Is that a movie? Do it is a movie. Okay. Here's the thing, Alan, based Alan, on a real life. there's so many of these like wise guys, <laughs> Names? it's hard to keep them... Keep them all... <laughs> Donnie, Donnie Brasco is arguably the most successful... Um, undercover uh, work by the the FBI ever, oh, at least in the history the of the government mafia. side. Yeah. So Donnie Brasco was this guy named Joe Pistone, who was actually um, in the FBI, and he masqueraded as a diamond thief named Donnie Brasco, and he got close to the Bonanno family, and um, basically 
He got close to some higher ups there. He was there for years and he was the witness, one of the witnesses in this case. He would be a witness in like, I forget how many cases, it's a lot, but he was in the mob for years or, or attached to them. He never got officially inducted. Um, I don't think the government thought it was too dangerous, but basically as soon as the mafia found out he was, uh, actually a government agent they actually didn't believe it for a long time they thought the government was trying to pull one over on them and get them to fess up to stuff because like we have oh like we have a total informant we know all this stuff you might as well just admit it but he was actually it was real and so he testified in this case and a bunch of everybody who was responsible for bringing him into the mafia was murdered and then the leadership of the this family went haywire for like 20 years because it was just a mess nobody trusted anybody it was just a big disaster because of donnie brasco so johnny depp plays him in the movie and al pacino plays the guy who brings him in so you can check out donnie brasco okay more links uh yeah go watch (laughs) go watch donnie brasco so yeah there's all this chaos afterwards like the leadership is gone um, the, the mafia, it, people are flipping because they don't want to get a hundred years with no chance of parole for a thing that they just talked about. Um, so then there's this, so then the second scam, I just love the story of how this happened. There's this guy named Bobby Ferenga <laughs> and he's a low level drug dealer. And the mafia was not, um, it, they were always discouraged from dealing drugs, mm-hmm. even though a lot of them did it. And some families made a lot of money off of it. Mm. There was also this also racist thing where they were like, that's a black people thing. Like we don't do drugs. That's beneath us. Totally. Yeah. That it's not, there's no honor to it. There's no integrity. It's gross. We only do construction. Totally. (laughs) We only chop people's heads off. We don't don't, give them stuff to snort. But even then, it's the... There is this code of ethics, right? So when they were chopping people's heads off, they were always justifying it as like, hey, look, we have the rules. They're laid out. You violated them. Right. This is what we got to do. Buy the bing. Off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Atlantic City doesn't get built in a day. Yeah. No. Without some heads coming off. You, sometimes you got to lop off some heads. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was always this debate about running drugs. There was also logistical stuff like it was too dangerous, too easy to get caught, that kind of stuff. It was like an extra layer that they didn't really feel that they needed. They made a lot of money. Yeah, they're fine. Who cares? Um, why jeopardize yourself in this way? Because the cops are looking for that. They're not looking for concrete rackets. They're mm-hmm. they're looking for drugs. That, yeah, so why jeopardize yourself? Yeah. So he's this low-level guy. He's running drugs for the Genovese family. And he gets busted because he sells a half a kilo of cocaine to a an undercover FBI agent. Wait, what's this guy's name again? Bobby Ferenga. Bobby Ferenga. And uh, so uh, he gets freaked out by the potential sentence he could get for selling this half a kilo, which was, I think, 20 years, the cops told him. I don't know if that is true, but he was told 20 or 30 years, something like that. So he gets all freaked out and he says, look, go easy on my girl, go easy on me, and I will tell you where there are some bodies buried from some mob hits in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a very different Williamsburg at this time. This is That's in, where I live uh, now. <laughs> yes, I knew you would appreciate that. Yeah, this there's is a in cool the record 80s. shop right over here. Yeah, no, <laughs> All the bodies are buried beneath Mikey's hookup. All now the- it's an acai bowl place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is um, Williamsburg, Bushwick. Greenpoint, yeah, they were all big. Bensonhurst were all big mob hangouts. Okay, so I knew happened? there was something fishy about that neighborhood. <laughs> they, well, there were there could probably still be some bodies I'm sure. under there. I, I, bodies I was aren't leaving, guys. They're kind of staying put. He, he tells them about these bodies, and they literally take them that day. Like, go, show smart. them to us now. That's a good move. Cops. So the, the cops dig up these two bodies in Williamsburg, and he's like, see, I told you, I know stuff. And they're like, what else do you know? And he's like, I know a little bit about this other racket we have going on with the New York City Housing Authority. And to the investigators, they're like, this is gold. Two bodies is like, okay, now we know who killed these people. It was a mob hit. But the ability to establish like that there's this network of stuff going on, this is intriguing to them. The housing authority is in bed with the mafia, is what you're saying, and he's going to prove it. Well, they're not. They're they don't ultimately end up being in bed with them 
so much. Wait, okay, but get to it. Get to it. The, the, okay, so <laughs> Fat Tony, as I mentioned, was just a front. The actual leader of this organization was this guy named Vincent the Chin Gigante. Yes. And what Vincent Gigante did to avoid prosecution was he would walk around the streets of the West Village where he lived in a bathrobe or in his underwear, and he would pee on the street, and he would <gasps> mumble to himself, like and he would act person. like a maniac. That's right? so smart. And he would he would fall in the middle of the street. He'd <gasps> cause like a big a scene on the street. Yeah, he would just look like an old, disheveled lunatic. Oh, wow. That was his plan. Our producer Caitlin's mouth is wide open. <laughs> She's like, that's amazing. So, and they he he hated it because all the people in his organization, if they wanted to shit talk him, they would call him the robe. He hated oh. that nickname because he would walk around like a bathrobe well, on the street. You should like it that worked. Nickname. It yeah. did work for a long time, but he, I don't know. I guess he would rather be the chin or something. But, um, robe so chin, whatever. Robe he chin, was, yeah. He was actually the guy who was the, the, in charge and that their family was doing well because they didn't really get the leader. They got this guy who was a front for the leader. So the, the, oh, the family was the, still going on. Yeah, the government is like not in on it yet. Like we need to do something because they're still thriving. So they, they this guy Bobby Ferenga takes them through him. They find this guy named Peter Savino. Wait, whatever happened to the robe guy? We're holding. He's on hold. He will. Okay. We will get back. We'll to get back. Him. He's just in his robe, <laughs> walking down the street. Peter okay. Savino runs this housing authority racket, and. The way it works is he a government person or a mob no, person? not at the beginning. Okay, but through finding him, so they find this guy Bobby Ferenga. He takes him to these bodies, shows he's legit, says he knows about this racket. Then they through him they get to this guy Peter Savino. Peter Savino actually is running this racket, and Peter Savino is very close to the chin. Mm. So now they're the like, chin. yeah, now they're getting close to robe chin, mm -hmm. and. The racket works like this. The federal government decided we want to save money on heating in in public housing. In the projects. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to subsidize. No, the, well, this was, yeah. well, yeah. well, people are in the projects to begin with because of racism, but they decide we want to save money. If your local government wants to take out the windows and replace them with more insulated windows, we will subsidize that that change for you we'll make it mm. affordable yeah we'll help pay the costs for your city to save money on these windows to, to incentivize you yeah, to incentivize you to put in these to windows our money sounds fishy so the new Already. york city housing authority needs nine hundred thousand windows replaced uh -huh. and sure they do though they do no, they that's do what they need <laughs> they really do. I like how skeptical you are. <laughs> Who doesn't believe there's that many windows? It's the so whole, specific. The windows are just this. It's scam. so specific. <laughs> I don't believe it. Like that it's that there's so many problems. Like you hear of NYCHA stuff and you hear of people who have so many problems in their apartments and yet like the windows are the thing that they're gonna address. I don't buy it. Alan's Sorry. dying. Okay. Maybe it was a scam from there. I don't think they've ever caught anybody for that. But the scam that we know about is okay. basically they were, this guy Peter Savino had basically organized all the window worker unions um, or all the window workers in this union that he was connected to. And so was already running kind of a similar scam to the concrete scam, which was basically we're going to bid, we're going to inflate the bids. Um, we're going to decide who works. Oh, yeah. They know how to do it by now. But there They're was also like a, a, a little other level, which was if you weren't in this crew of, um, I want to say it was 10 or 13 window companies mm -hmm. across the city, you could still operate. You just had to pay them $1 to $2 for every window you replaced. So Wait, I'm so confused now. Okay, so... Why are we paying them money for windows? Because they'll kill you if you don't. <laughs> no, what I mean. Okay, so we're talking about. Okay, so the government says, I'm just going to back up. We're going to subsidize because we want our heating and cooling to be more efficient, which is great. Green. Okay, wonderful. So then this guy, Silvatino. 
Peter Savino. Peter Savino says, oh, I've got it for you because he's in the union of window makers. He's a mob guy. A mob guy. Who who operates basically as a puppet system this year. For the windows. For the okay. window workers. So then you have all these companies that are tied to the mob and any company that isn't tied to the mob that's a window union has to give the mob or one a to company. Two, or any yeah. Any window replacement company. In the whole of New York. Yeah, probably are in they the union members too. as well. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be if you're in it. Okay. Yes. Um then you would then give the mob one or two dollars. One to two dollars for every window that you install. Wow. So even if you aren't involved in the when? racket. Oh, Caitlin, our producer wants to know when is this happening? This is in the late 80s. Okay. Um, so, so every single window person is involved. He basically. sees this bonanza of yeah. like 900,000 <laughs> NYCHA windows. We got to get, we got to get in on this. Mm. So basically they go into full speed and he says, okay, these groups, we're going to bid everybody else stay out. We're going to inflate the bids again. Mm -hmm. It's just windows. It's just these dumb little windows in the New York City Housing Authority. Yeah. They made, the government said between 1978 and 89 through this window scam, they made um, $151 million. What? Um, And that they, (laughs) that 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 was 80% of all NYCHA window contracts. Was went, to, was, went to the mafia. So did were the windows actually good windows? I think the windows were fine. Okay. <laughs> They're probably still in there. I, I just want to know about the windows. <laughs> I, I don't think there was any, I don't think there were crappy windows. Right. I think they were prob- probably pretty good windows oh, okay, okay. still. They were real window companies. Yeah. They just- Were real mob companies. <laughs> were, were, uh, were run by the mob or kind of orchestrated by the mob. Wow, and that's so, so specific. They would just go in and be like- okay, this job is going to cost $100,000. And then the other company would be like, oh, well, I can't do it for less than $100,000, even though the job is Mm $70,000. And so not only were they getting all the money anyway, they could have done the job for the real amount and and got plenty of money. Because why not inflate it? And yeah, they got to pay your agent. (laughs) Yes. So that, but that also is like, then the window people are like, whatever, we're making all this money. So they're not telling on the mob. Not that you would want to do that anyway. One or $2 per window if you're getting an extra thousand. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. They'll pay the buck or whatever. But I mean, that it's not as good if you're not in the, if you're not in this little crew, you have to pay the one to $2, but you don't get the inflated price. No. You just don't, you 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 pay them. You pay them $2 to not (laughs) have problems. Right. So. So, it's like what we do for insurance. For like it is. Hospitals. Yeah. It is. I'll pay you mm-hmm. whatever a month to make so sure if I'm sick, so I, I'm this okay. doctor doesn't charge me yeah. $50,000. Yeah. Um, now that's a scam. I know. Um, so uh, they, yeah, basically they decided who worked on these 900,000 windows. They decided how much everything cost. They kept all this money and they inflated the prices by. You know, I mean, people have tried to calculate it, but 25 to 50 ish percent probably. Mm-hmm. So I always think about like how much in today's dollars the mafia actually cost oh. the city of New York, not just in construction, in concrete. In con- yeah, concrete, <laughs> all the construction costs, these windows, all this stuff. It's got to be hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in today's, today's dollars that I wish New York City could have back, I guess. <laughs> Maybe they could fix the trains. It's just um, so awful. Like this is, I don't, this is not a, I, I hate this because it's like, there's so limited funding for public housing anyway. And like people are living in such horrible conditions to scam this. Those people's mm. experience. Those people, yeah. you're scamming those people who are already underprivileged. Like this is not a scam I approve of. This is not a good scam at all. I hate mm-hmm. it. No, they're not conning developers or taking done... money out of the budget of public housing. Yeah, they should yeah. have done the subway system. They should have, like, that would have been... I'm sure they We'd did be that. paying too. even more for that now. But still, it would have been at least, I don't know, something. Yeah, I agree with you, Sue. Don't scam... Okay, so then what happened? Don't scam the Don't scam people. the poor. Scam the rich people. We are Robin Hood fans. You take from the rich. Yes. And that's only. pretty much what they were doing in the concrete scam. Yes. Like developers pay, footed the bill. Yeah. I mean, ultimately customers would too. I mean, they were 
they did it, they would go like, oh, we own an olive oil company now. And they'd be like, you better sell our olive oil at, you know, key food. And yeah, or you, and so Javits Center costs more than it should have. Products cost more than they should have. You know, they would just run up to places and go like, hey, um, you know, you need to pay us a thousand dollars a month or something's going to happen to your place. You know, you never know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, you know, all the costs got passed on to somebody. So, mm. um, w- you know, people ended up paying more for their fruits and veggies or whatever because the store had to make enough money to pay off the, the mafia mob, yeah. so that they didn't get their building Which burned down. Which makes New York City more expensive and more exclusive. Mm. <laughs> How really... is it more exclusive? <laughs> more expensive. People are like, ooh, it's automatically better. So if they basically made New York feel fancier. I don't know if they felt that way in like 1965 <laughs> in Bensonhurst. I don't know. I don't know the rules. I'm just <laughs> Wait, saying. Just a theory. What Maybe. happened What happened to this um, guy? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, so the they tried this huge trial um, uh, for uh, I want to say trial. 11 people. Yeah, the Windows case is what it was called. Very creative. Creative. And um, they yeah, only actually the convicted board. three people um, in this Windows case. Um, Was but they, Chin Robe guy in it? He the so the Windows case they used against him later. Oh. So in the first Windows case, they had all of these people flip that was their big victory was not just that not convicting but not just that they had convicted a bunch of people but that they had turned all of these and they're people. all in the witness protection program now and yeah they're on so their they side. went all into the witness protection program and except for one of them was sammy the bull gravano who's maybe the most famous rat in mafia know. history um he testified against everybody and then went into the witness protection program and then came out and kept committing crimes. And what? <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, he couldn't stop. He can't um, help himself, guys. Just, that's what he does. You know, he's Sammy. Um, so, yeah. So they got these three people and they all these people flipped. And the people who flipped were able to finally make the case in this against Robechin. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get him there. But by getting to Peter Savino and finding out about this Windows thing and him being close to Vinny the Chin, they were able to say, like, he's not really crazy. He's, it's a scam. On Sunday, he makes a great roast and he makes a lot of good points. Yeah, he's pretending he walks around the West Village all day like a maniac and then he has his meetings in the middle of the night. This guy has so evidence of all this. So that was like that was the that was the biggest thing was that that they got to Peter Savino, they liked him, uh, or you know, or like Vin, Vinny the Chin liked him, kept him close. Um, Wait, Peter Savino is not the FBI rat. He well, he did. He turned. Okay. He 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 ran the Wait, Windows the scam. Sorry, I'm getting all these names confused. Who was the guy that was the um Lou Ferrigno? Fr- Lou Ferrigno from the. <laughs> Lou Ferrigno was the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, um, no, I was close. Was, and a baseball player. No, who was the guy that was from the government? We can cut this. The government that Donnie then, Brasco. That's it. That's Donnie Brasco. And this who, is Peter Savino. Okay. Peter Savino <laughs> turned. And um, yeah, so they got him close to, he was close to, to, to Vinny the Chin and all that all the testimony he gave in this case and all the people that they flipped helped establish that Vinny the Chin was in on this, that he wasn't crazy, that he was the boss of this family. And then they finally got to him, I think, in 93. That case was in 91, and then his, I think, was a couple years later. And by then, he's been doing it for so long. Pretending to be crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I think he said something when he finally got convicted, like, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. It's a lot of work <laughs> to be on the street like, every day. Yeah, and you have to do this performance and act yeah. nuts. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's a lot. I just can't believe it took him 10 years to install all these windows. You said they made this money from like 1979 and 1989. They made $150 I think that was the whole time of the windows union racket as a whole i think the okay. nitro windows were sh- a shorter a period shorter time. of that okay and then weren't so when this ended was there more evidence that the mob was involved in unions and, oh yeah totally yeah um they started investigating all these labor unions um 
and trying to ferret out all the corruption inside from all the mafia. And then once that loosened up, it it was such a huge source of money for them that it, stuff started to dry up. People started to rat out. Then there was less money. People were more paranoid. Suddenly a life in Cleveland or whatever or Tempe starts sounding pretty good if <laughs> yeah. you never get whacked. A and lot of so, less pressure. Yeah, people start, they see more and more people go down. They start seeing these that actually, even though people were hesitant to use the RICO uh, statutes at the beginning, they ultimately turned out to be like... The only thing they could use. It was the only thing they could use, and it was like pretty effective. Like mm -hmm. Once you got the conviction, you could charge them for hundreds of years. Mm. First for this stuff and and they would never they would never come back out. Mm. And so it was it was pretty effective. To keep them off the streets. Yeah, they weren't but, just getting charged with like burglary or whatever and, and they get yeah, a couple yeah. years and then coming back. And that's kind of what they were doing before. They were trying to pin them to specific stuff. They get these thugs, put them in prison for a couple years. They're not ratting it out. They're like, I'd rather sit in prison for three years than be killed. Hang out with your other friends in prison. Hang out it's with your family. other friends. The mafia lived pretty well in yeah. prison. They were paying off guards. They were living, if you've ever, we saw yeah. you, we just, we watched Goodfellas, uh -huh. you know, they're like cooking in there. I don't yeah. know if it was that real, but you know, they, they weren't, suffering mm -mm. per se uh okay i'm putting you on the spot here with this question and it's probably in your opinion what do you think the mob influence still has on new york city today Ooh. wait didn't they have a huge influence in key foods they sold a lot of stuff. I think they ran the union, like the grocery workers uh, union, and they sold a lot of their stuff at Key Food. Really? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they're like yes, which is a workers and mob money. Right. But do we people. think the mob is done in New York, or do we think it's they're not, still alive? It's and not kicking? done. No. Done. You you see once in a while people getting arrested and or getting like tagged to the mobs. I think actually the the big strange. A legacy of this in New York City is that New York um, has started using RICO laws to prosecute what's essentially street crime and social media. S yeah, so really, they yeah. launched this thing a couple years ago called Operation Crew Cut, and Operation Crew Cut was basically an anti-gang, quote unquote, initiative. And they did all these huge raids across the city of housing projects. Um, but started arresting. on social media, right? Yeah. People would comment about something or they'd be in support of something. Yeah, so basically if somebody would go on Facebook and say like, oh, I'm gonna go get this guy, and somebody said like, yeah, man, I'm with you or whatever, or like. liked it or things like that. They'd say like conspiracy to commit murder. What? And so they were rounding up. It's under up. the RICO Act. It's allowed. yeah, it's all RICO stuff. So they would they they'll arrest a hundred something people out of these housing projects. Um, I think the biggest one was 130 something people. I, I think that's the biggest yeah. one. RICO was originally designed to get the bad guys, but now the government is the bad guys. Uh I mean for the In most some cases, part, yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's Yeah, I mean it, I mean it was it was designed to take down high level mafia. It was a complex law cases. created because the cases were so complex that they needed a special set and of rules to govern within them. the government. And now it's like 19-year-old kids waving a gun on YouTube or something and now they're part of conspiracy to commit murder. Yeah, that's crazy. That is very upsetting. But thank you for bringing that's it. That's a whole thing. I mean, that's what's so crazy is that I don't think that these officials are very, I mean, I'm sure they're good at specific things that they do, but in some cases, they're not very good at this. If you think they're trying to actually stop crime or give or rehabilitate people, then by that metric, they're probably pretty bad at what they do. But if you're, if that's not their intention and their intention is something else, then they're quite good at what Speaking they're doing. Speaking of rehabilitation, Alan, you have a New York City show featuring formerly oh, yeah, incarcerated people performing yes, their art, I do. right? Uh, I, I, Tell us more. That sounds so you. cool. I didn't know that was going to even come yes. up. Yes. Um, I oh, work yeah, very I closely with lots of formerly incarcerated people. Um, 
It's a community that I've been working with for about three years. And um, we started a show called The Art of Return. It is uh, every other month. Yeah, a caveat on the Lower East Side. The next one is Sunday, June 23rd at 4 p.m. We are partnering with an organization called HALA, which stands for How Our Lives Link All Together. They are a um, healing justice organization that um, is founded by a formerly incarcerated man and um, all, every all the youth there are like justice involved. They're based in Brooklyn and um, they have an album uh, that they're going to be releasing. So the show itself is formerly incarcerated artists and interviews with with um, formerly incarcerated people. So it's kind of a hybrid. You get a little of everything. Um, and uh, this one is going to be done in conjunction with them. They're going to do their music. They're going to be selling shirts and stuff. It's going to be kind of non-traditional. There's probably going to be some actual like restorative justice happening in the space. Yeah, most of the other shows have been about like what's wrong with the system and how it doesn't achieve the things that it's supposed to achieve or that we would like it to achieve. And this one's about like, well, what's what's something else? What would an alternative look like? And so as people are getting more into restorative justice and transformative justice and healing justice, ways of um, helping people address the underlying issues that lead to harming other people or substance abuse, things like that. Um, we thought it was a good time to say like, okay, well, we showed you what's wrong. Now here's another path that that maybe people could take. So June 23rd, Sunday, 4 p.m. at Caveat on Clinton Street on the Lower East Side. And you can go to their website, caveat.nyc. And uh, they will, you can buy tickets there. It's 10 bucks. And then you can follow me on, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Oh, I hate uh, having to spell out my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, you, Alan Arthur, A-L-L-E-N-A-R-T-H-U-R. Um, Do you have a and, uh, website yeah. where people can read your stuff? I do. AlanArthur.work. Okay, guys, thank you so much. That was really fun. Thanks thank to Ellen for Ellen. really putting in the time and um, doing the work and bringing us all this research. Yes. We really appreciate okay. it. He's our scam number one scam spot in it. Number one. Um, we have links for you guys that you can check it out on our page. And you can always connect with us on Instagram at ScamWow Podcast or Twitter or Gmail us at ScamWowPodcast at Gmail. Um, and then, you know, we love our hot tip hotlines. And you can call us at 347-509-9414. Tell us tell what us you're feeling. Your tell feelings. us about any of your scams. Tell us if you're in the mob. We definitely want to know that. Um or if you're tangentially <laughs> related to, to the mob, tell us everything. It's so fascinating. Wait one second. Um, Kate, do you want to just plug the network a little bit for like 30 seconds? Yeah. Yeah. Here's our producer, Kate. Oh. Well, we really love. So, guys, we're on the network we're on is called More Banana Podcast. It's, it's a Kate, special. It's a special network because it's all female podcasts, and Kate runs it all by herself out of her home. She has 10 podcasts. And she runs the whole thing by herself and she has her own studio and there's a picture that says Badass Babes Club in it and it's amazing. So, Kate, why did you start the network? Uh, essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing and just, you know, living their little insular life. So, I already had the technology and the know-how and I started and, and then... All of a sudden, now we have, I think, 15 women all banding together and working together, making a creative collective of podcasts. And you know what? I ask Kate all the time if we're her favorite podcast. And like any good parent, <laughs> she says, I don't play favorites. I won't I love, tell you, you little bitch. Nope. Go to your I room. I love all all of our pod babies. It's the same. She loves I love them. them all the we same. We really love Kate. And if you guys, also if you're curious and you want to start getting into podcasting and learn about that, mm -hmm. you can always reach out to Kate and ask her some questions. She's probably the most helpful Absolutely. person I've ever met in my life. Absolutely. Info at morebanana.com. Just email me. I'm very helpful. She's also, she's the most hardworking and accessible mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. ever. If people want to learn more about the network, where can they do that? 
uh, morebanana.com or you can follow us at morebananapodcast. Amazing. Okay. Thank you for all of your tireless work, Kate. You we love are you. very welcome. I enjoy it. And thank you to our listeners. We're crazy about you and we will see you next week. See you next week. Okay. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad, to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.